a man who's coached more games at VFA, VFL level, uh, played at the elite level for the Cats a long time ago now, but he did so as Gerald Fitzgerald, uh, and he's been good enough to join us um, on the show. Hi, Gerald. Good to hear you, Andy. Yeah, well, it, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, well, so you're right. Three games, four goals. I mean, uh, how fresh in the mind are the memories when you play those three games for the Cats? Yeah, amazingly fresh. Very, very fresh. And I think it's like everybody who has a dream of playing AFL football, you'll always remember uh, when you were told you were playing and you'll always remember, especially if you've only played three games, you'll always remember every part of it. It was a it was a great time in my life, Andy. In fact, I'd actually... It was back in those days, you know, when we were playing both footy and cricket, and I'd played under-19 cricket for Victoria, and we flew home from the National Carnival, which was in Perth, um, and had Christmas at home and then got stuck into my training. So you could imagine what my preparation was like coming out of cricket into footy. <laughs> it was. Yeah. So you were one of those. So... Uh... The, the three the three games you played, one of those was against against Hawthorne, and you kicked yes. three kicks and you kicked three goals in that game. Can you remember? Like when I ask you to shut your eyes, can you take me back to where yes, you I were can. on the ground, who you were up against, and how you kicked those three? Yeah, yeah, I can. It's amazing. I um I can remember each one of them, and uh, I well, can go on. still remember. Don't, don't hold back. Oh, well, I, go on, please. Yeah, they were from. Three of them were from Marks. Mm. And, of course, there was no 50s on the grounds then. And so you're trying to remember basically where you were in regard to how far out or whatever. And that, that can distort your memory, as you'd well know. Yep. But um, I do also remember that I think we kicked about nine goals. Andy, someone will know better than me on that. I know I got three. Yeah. And uh, Hawthorne kicked in excess of 20. I think it was about 24 or five. Right. Some of the you look back on some of the names at Hawthorne that then, and you just as a as a boy you sort of just pinch yourself and think, am I actually playing against? Well, Kelvin Moore was the full back, and Peter Knights was centre half back, and uh, uh, Lee Matthews was charging around uh, in the midfield, and Don Scott was in the ruck, and uh, Ed Hudson was at full forward. So uh, it was a it was a fair lineup. So, Jerry, why do you reckon it was only three games? Why do you reckon you, you just... I mean, you, you, three is, you know, three more than 99.9% of us and, and it's a record to be enormously proud of. But but why was it? Why did it end at three games, do you think? Well, I was, I was doing my teacher training in Ballarat because there was only... I was doing secondary physical education and that course wasn't offered in Geelong. So I was travelling and I'd been travelling for a year or so. I'd had a year in the under-19s, Andy. Okay. So that, that part of it was working all right. Um, but I hurt, I hurt my knee in my third game and that was against Footscray as they were then out at Waverley. And it was late in the year and in, in August. And... It was in the very, very early days of the reconstructions, Andy, and I wasn't done until the end of December. So I heard it in August, and we tried everything to get it right, knowing full well that it wasn't. Mm. And in the end, they said, even though I was only very young, they said, well, we have to reconstruct his knee. And, and in retrospect, it never really came good. And I can remember having a, a meeting with some key people at Geelong, um, and they just said to me, you're just not going to be able to stand up to the wear and tear of the game. And uh, that's when I just had to then realise that I, that, I, that I was finished as a player. And so I didn't really play much footy after that. I'd had a handful of games. I'd had more operations and games trying to get my knee right. Yeah, right. Um, but if you look at it now, you think, well, what was that all about? Because the recovery's so good. And you were talking a little bit earlier about how the game continues to evolve. 
Well, by golly, it's evolved in how the players are prepared. It's it's the, the strength and conditioning and players coming back from what were season-ending injuries, or sorry, career-ending injuries once, yeah. and now coming back from them, how fit and well-conditioned they are. Uh, back then, of course, the reconstruction, if you think about what I went through and so did the others who had the reconstructions back then compared with what we do now, um, they were just miles apart. So it was more the ongoing damage that occurred in my knee that they couldn't repair, which meant that I probably got a pretty good outcome from the surgery, but was never really um, physically capable of playing at that level again, Andy. That was a reason. Jared, do you get frustrated? I mean, you, you coach more games at um, the, the next level down than any, anybody else in the history of you know the VFA VFL. So you've got an acute understanding of the game, and I'm, I'm sure you're a you know you're a watcher of it um, you know, mm. to yeah. a large degree of you know the, the next level up. Do you, as mm. a as just as a football fan, do, do you get frustrated by the constant? need for uh, the legislators of footy to feel like they have to have this lock battle with with coaches in particular and coaching staffs to try and bring the game back to the people a little bit or take it back to what it used to be or you you know the conversation that takes place does it it annoy you well probably the first thing I do Andy is when I'm talking to people I say well take it back to where you you tell me to where you would like it take it back to and then you could probably then present a reasonable argument that back then they wanted to change it because they weren't happy with it then and you also then think about the history of some of the significant rule changes Andy and you think of how much better is the game as a result of those what I call those paradigm shifts or those significant changes so if you say to people once upon a time Mm. a little old player in the back pocket could kick the ball straight out of bounds and into the stands and out over outside the ground and we'd have to wait till the ball would come back before we could recommence play people say oh really oh that must have been a good rule and out on the full came in so and then you had the center square quagmire and they couldn't move it out there with the numbers around so i think in a way my understanding is from whenever I got involved with the game, Andy, that one thing was inevitable, that it would continue to change. And I think at times the change is driven because the people are, de- are demanding that change. Um, so I think some of the rules that came in last year, I think people were saying, well, there's some of the things that we want to happen. It's just that it's a hybrid game. Um, and the essence of the game means that it really is, is quite an unstructured game. But at times, I suppose, people get a bit frustrated because it's trying to be made more structured by us, and I say us as coaches, yeah. uh, whereas the people people are looking for the opposite to the coaches, I think. People are looking for that unpredictability, that uncertain aspect of the game, that whatever might happen sort of things, whereas coaches, we're, we're continually to try and uh, organise the game. And I suppose that's where the... The conflict between those who are trying to make it a really good spectacle compared to those who are looking for the outcome. So, is it inevitable, Jared, that that battle will continue forever? Mm, I think so. Yep. Yeah, I, I think so. And then, then the inevitable debate, Andy, will come in to say, well, okay, do we leave it alone and let it evolve? And I think the flooding issue was a really good example of that. Like you, you'll recall a time with it. Oh no, this flooding is just atrocious. You yep. can't can't have all the players in the back half of the ground and we don't want that. Well, then it became the opposite, didn't we? We had the forward press and we're trying to win the ball in their forward line and the flooding sort of disappeared almost as quick as it came in and uh, I'm glad that we didn't legislate against that. I, and I, I, I still think that we're yet to see some of the success 
of some of the rule changes from last year, I, I think that the simplification, and I think it's as much for the umpiring as, as anybody else, that the, the, the ability to be able to move the ball so easily from when a point scored, that was quite a complicated method being able to bring the ball back in, Andy, wasn't it? Remember the umpire oh, to work absolutely. out? Did it leave his hands? Was yeah. he in the goal square? And, oh, yep. my God. Let him go. I think <laughs> we're going to see in time. That'll become a terrific rule. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure that the 666 is leading to some more uncertainty in the result when the game's very, very tight late. But the fact that you just can't get your numbers back, which drives us nuts as coaches, as you'd imagine, but it leaves it quite open for a team that can get the ball out of the middle with a long, deep entry and then chaos, as you know. So uh, I, I think one rule that I would like to see given serious thought to, Andy, is that... I don't know whether we would go back to it. In the VFL, and quite a lot of us as coaches thought that it was working well. It wasn't just my opinion. But we thought in the back half of the ground, if you kicked the ball backwards, you could do it. But it wasn't granted a mark. It was just play on. Yep, so yep. that tended to make us avoid going backwards. It tended to sort of continue for us to go forward, which is what the fans want. And the other one that I would like to see, Andy, is that if the ball's not kicked at least 20 metres, that it should be play on. Because it's so good at being able to kick the ball and keep possession for a chain of marks, you know, with kicks may or may not be 20. Who's going to know that? And if it's not, if the umpy has doubt that it's not 20, he should be able to call or she should be able to call play on. Hallelujah. Oh, I think it's so, that those two in particular are so simple and they don't really change. The nature of footy, no. they don't. In fact, they bring a bit back. I think it's. I think if I would tick both of them, I'm I'm completely on board for both of those. We're going to run out of time here. Can I, as a coach, were you more? Um, and this is something a conversation I had with Dave Colbert yesterday. Um, were you a coach who allowed your players as much as possible to play on instinct, or were you one who? Um, uh, was more sort of system and process driven. Were you one? Were you no, more of one no, than the other? More, no, more system and process, okay, Andy. Yep. But I think what what changed us more as coaches. I remember in my early days of coaching, you'd go along and listen to presentations from elite level coaches in other sports and watch those sports train. And the very thing that they did, which we did not do in Aussie rules, was that they played games when they were at training. We didn't. Yeah. And I think that's been the most significant change in terms of how we coach our teams. We actually play what we call now game sense training, and we're doing it all the time now. Um, so I think to a degree that will still create the natural flair in the players. Like you're, not, you're setting up drills where the players have to make decisions now whereas once upon a time you set up drills where there was heaps of hats and the decision-making was taken out of it because it was kick it to the next hat. So I think to a degree you're still allowing the flair in the game via the natural game sense. So it's it's just that you know to be able to compete against the best sides, whatever level you're coaching in, you need to make sure that your players are organised and some degree of, uh, of how to play their role, as we call it, but within a structured environment, Andy. Jared, uh, I'm going to have to let you go in a moment. Can you tell us about the Young Gun series that you're involved with at the yeah, moment? I'd love to, Andy. Yeah. Very, very, very passionate about it because if we think about it, if I ask the people who are listening to us now, how many of the players who are on their particular AFL list or if they're looking at their VFL club, how many are on their VFL list 
who have come through the pathway other than the TAC Cup or the under-18 yeah. pathway, which is so successful. So the idea is now that via the Young Guns program, we're trying to provide a pathway for the players in the, what we call their later developing years, up to around 22, to see if we can find a way for those players who have... De- what we think have demonstrated sufficient talent to be able to be given an opportunity. And we're finding quite a bit of success. It's only in its second year, Andy, but we had quite a degree of success last year with a number of players who played last year in the Young Guns who are now on an AFL list Um, and some players even this year who got into the mid-year draft who actually played in our our Young Guns game early in the year. Um, so, obviously, those players are being developed within their clubs and within the environment they're in, and well done to those people. But it's the coming together, Andy, of this particular talent, which is what the recruiters are telling us it's so important for. So, Young Guns number three, and so that's the third and final game for this year, Andy, is, is at Werribee this Sunday at 11am, and it's the curtain raiser to the VFL game, Port Melbourne yeah. and uh, Werribee. So, we can get Exciting concept. It's fantastic, Jerry. It's, again, desperate for numbers, desperate for talent uh, and desperate to keep players who are capable of playing at at the very best levels. Uh, It's a really, really important field to make sure we continue to mine, I reckon, these players who missed out at 18 and 19 but have still got a lot to offer at 22 and 23. It's massive. Also, India, there's a layer of a level of footy taken with no development league now in the VFL yeah, yeah, for, sure. um, for also the development of coaches and two of the coaches are involved last year in the program and now the head coach of their NAB league club so it's also about the development of coaches within the pathway as well as the players. Jared, there's a lot of positivity coming uh, forth off our text machine here for uh, your thoughts and opinions on, on footy. Uh, it's uh, something we should do more often with people like you. I think spend some time and just uh, get your take on the game that we love so very much. Good luck with the Young Guns program. Keep on doing the great work that you're doing for footy. Uh, and thanks for being involved in the show today.